Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 15th. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state epidemiologist breaks down the latest surge of coronavirus cases and how farmers markets could offer relief from rising retail costs and supply chain disruptions. Plus, a link between the newly energized workers' rights movement and the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Coronavirus cases in Mississippi are trending up. It's a phrase that is morphing into its own trend of sorts. This summer marking the third straight where transmission of COVID-19 has intensified. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byer shares more on this current wave with our Kobe Vance. We have been seeing some increases in the number of cases uh, that are re- being reported. Um, it has not been uh, a rapid spike or a, a rapid upswing, similar to what we've seen with previous waves. But if you look back at the data over the last several weeks, really since the beginning of June, we have seen a steady increase in the number of cases that are being reported in the state. Um, along with that, you know, we've seen other indicators that indicate uh, that we're seeing broader transmission. Um, we've seen an increase in the number of new admissions uh, due to COVID-19 to the hospital. We're seeing um, overall uh, small increases in the number of patients that are currently admitted to the hospital with COVID. We're seeing some increases in the number of uh, emergency department visits due to COVID. Um, and we are starting to see some increases in the number of outbreaks in nursing home and other long-term care settings in the state. All indicators, um, like we've been talking about, that we're seeing increased transmission right now. Um, I think it's important to know, though, that one of the things that we're not seeing are significant increases in the number of deaths. We are seeing uh, some very minimal increase, but nothing to the extent that we've seen with previous waves. So um, we're very encouraged uh, by that information. And this is due in large part from people getting vaccinated and being protected uh, from the vaccine, as well as utilization of therapeutics in the state. 
um, like the oral antivirals, Paxlovid, um, as well as monoclonal antibodies, which have also been used extensively throughout the state and have been shown to reduce those complications, reduce hospitalizations, reduce the risk of death. How far off do you think Mississippi's reported data on new cases is going to be off because we do have these at-home test kits that people don't have to report? Yeah, you know, it's difficult to to really estimate how far our numbers uh, may be off. It's important to understand that uh, throughout the pandemic, when we've reported out our numbers, that's always likely to have been an underestimate um, uh, in the total number of cases. And certainly with home tests and the availability of home tests, which we do encourage individuals to use if they have access to, um, certainly could could reduce the number of, of cases that are identified and reported to the Department of Health. I think it's important to watch the trends, and we are seeing trends that are going up now. But it's also important to really focus on our indicators of severity of illness, our hospitalizations, and our deaths. And that data will be complete. That data is um, uh, is not dependent upon uh, the reporting of a home test. But as far as home tests go, um, we do have the ability uh, for um, individuals who use a home test, who test positive, to report those results to us. We don't necessarily count those as individual cases, but we do utilize those reports of positive home tests in our overall surveillance to get an idea of what's going on in the state. Dr. Myers, I want to start off uh, on Paxlovid. Can you tell us a little bit about what this drug is, uh, how monoclonals can be used, and who should be asking their doctor about it? So um, Paxlovid is an oral antiviral. It's uh, it's a short course of, of oral medication that you take that, that's uh, prescribed by your doctor. And um, it's for use in individuals in an outpatient setting who have mild or, or moderate um, COVID-19 infection. And it has been shown to reduce the um, development of severe complications and hospitalizations by 88 to 90% if taken early in the course of that illness within those first five days. Um, and and it's, a, it's a great medication to utilize, especially for people who are high risk. And you know, um, uh, the FDA has now, through an emergency use authorization, cleared the way for uh, pharmacists to administer uh, Paxlovid out of the pharmacy. And um, Dr. Dobbs has written a statewide standing order that we have pushed out to, to all pharmacies in the state now that allow, if you test positive for COVID, that you can go into to one of the participating pharmacies, talk to the pharmacist, and if you're a good candidate, they can actually administer the Paxlovid uh, there without going to the doctor's visit. We've been talking about monoclonals for about a year now. Um, uh, yeah, monoclonal antibodies have been a, a, um, uh, a great benefit to Mississippi. Um, you know, we really worked hard to facilitate um, the use and and how widely spread uh, uh, monoclonals were available during many of our waves, uh, Delta and during the Omicron wave. And without a doubt, that saved lives. And the utilization of monoclonal out, uh, antibodies in the outpatient setting has, has saved lives in Mississippi. There are still monoclonal antibodies 
that are available and utilized in the state. There are other therapeutics for COVID available as well. Uh, I think the thing when we think about uh, COVID-19 therapeutics is it's another tool in our toolkit to help prevent those severe complications and ultimately prevent deaths. Uh, We have many tools now. We have vaccination. We have now broadened vaccination down to children as low as six months of age. We have antivirals and monoclonal antibodies and other therapeutics that can be utilized to prevent those severe complications. And that's what we want to use. When, how can somebody find out which is their best option between uh, antivirals and monoclonals? Talk to your doctor if you have questions. Talk to your pharmacist if you have questions. And on our website, we do have therapeutic locator that, um, that folks can use to uh, find out where these uh, 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 monoclonals and oral antivirals are available in their area. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this everybody's been saying this for a long time now. This is not a substitute for the vaccine. This is something that stands for react, reactionary rather than preventive. Starts with the vaccine. And, and, you know, get your vaccine. If you haven't been vaccinated, it's time to get vaccinated. If you're due for a booster, it's time to get your booster. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers. Coming up, how farmers markets could offer relief from rising retail costs and supply chain disruptions. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. For many farmers in Mississippi, summer is peak grow season. And that means finding buyers for their crops. The thing about it is they actually get to meet the person that actually grew it, whereas the, if they go to a market, supermarket somewhere, uh, they don't know who grew it. And they get to meet us and ask questions. Tim Cooper operates Cooper's Farms and Vineyards. He's a regular at the Mississippi Farmer's Market in Jackson, where vendors offer an array of produce, meats, and other artisanal goods. Farmers here say the market offers buyers the opportunity to know more about the food they purchase. Greg Lott, another regular, tells our Kobe Vance those interactions are what bring him to town every Saturday. I'm the Lott in Remington Lot Farm. We raise beef. Uh, the way we raise them is they're free-ranged, supplemental fed. Then we slaughter them. They're dry-aged for 18 to 21 days. And then uh, we We've got a retail store there at uh, Gluckstadt, and, of course, we're here every Saturday. What do you see as the benefit of being able to have those local sale options as opposed to, you know, the traditional route of selling to uh, supermarkets that sell it again to consumers? Uh, We're small enough to where we can, uh, for instance, specialty cuts. If you wanted a specialty cut, we can uh, adapt to that quicker for you. Do you think that also equates to savings for Mississippians? 
I would think so, and then the quality of the meat, uh, and it's local. Uh, you're talking to the person that raised it. So, what, a, what does it mean to you to be able to have that one-on-one interaction with customers? That's why we're down here every Saturday. With rising retail food costs, Agriculture Commissioner Andy Gibson says local markets could be one way to get dependable quality food. Well, it fits exactly the need of today, the most important need of today. And the, the most frequent phone call I'm getting from consumers out there is, where can we buy local food? So as you see on these maps that we presented, you, you can go just about anywhere in your neighborhood and find a local Mississippi farmer's market. We have a certified farmer's market program where we know it's Mississippi raised, and uh, it's local and it's abundant. And right, as I mentioned, this is the time to do that. Don't wait till the crops are gone. Don't wait till the summer's over and the peas are, are dried out. Go buy today and plan ahead for the winter, and you can buy in bulk and buy for your family and have plenty of good food, healthy food, over the course of the coming months. You also mentioned that, Mrs., that the state has been able to triple its oversight. Yeah. Um, what went into that, and uh, what do you think that can mean for Mississippians? That we were able to triple our, our capacity of meat processing under what's called USDA inspected guidelines, under the Federal Meat Inspection Act. Uh, to sell in a grocery store, to sell in a retail market, it must be USDA inspected. Now, our inspectors partner with USDA, and we actually serve as inspectors for USDA for a number of plants. But what we have been able to do all over the state is uh, existing custom slaughter, for, which is not eligible to be sold in retail. They have upgraded in corners all across Mississippi to be USDA processors. And what we see is uh, farmers, cattlemen, beef producers, hog producers, all are tapping into that, bringing their animals there. And there is a market for local meat. Remington Lot, who's here today, has local meat that's processed at a USDA-inspected facility. It's for sale. It's available. It's good and fresh. And uh that makes us independent. It makes us more resilient as a state against these supply chain interruptions that are happening in the Midwest when the plant burns down. We, we can process meat here. We can process our food here in the state of Mississippi. And what do you think having all these different locations across the state means for people who live in more rural areas or areas where they might not be able to farm themselves? Well, it means uh, for, for all these consumers in these rural uh, areas across Mississippi, as you see, they're pretty close to just about any farmer's market in the area. They're pretty close to a farm where they can go and gather their own food. Uh, if, if they're willing to get out and do that, they can save money in doing that and have plenty of food for the winter. So, I, you know, why wait? Why worry? Why have all this anxiety? And if we watch the news, Lord knows we got plenty of things to worry about. But this is something you can actually do something about. That's why I said don't worry about it. Do something about it. Get out and get you some food. And plan ahead. Buy what you need. A bushel of peas will feed a family 20 or 30 meals. You know, that's that's simple. That's easy to do. And it's much more affordable than buying stuff out of a can in a grocery store. Is there anything else you'd like to share with Mississippians about, you know, providing for families right now as we see prices in gas and food and everything like that going up? You know, all of us are suffering the pain of inflation and the pain of fuel shortages and uh, prices at the pump and the price of everything and food included. Um, one thing that we can be thankful for is that unlike places served by Ukraine where that war is going on, they've had a whole disruption of 30% of their of the grain in the world, in that part of the world. There are people who probably will uh, go hungry in Asia this winter because of a lack of food. We are blessed. We're thankful that in America we're not going to go hungry. We're going to have plenty of food. 
but it may cost a little bit more. So we have to prioritize, and there's nothing more important than good, healthy, wholesome food and our farmers. That 1.3% of the population, that's who we have to thank for it. Agriculture Commissioner Andy Gibson with our Kobe Vance. Coming up, a link between the newly energized workers' rights movement and the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. On the original Southern Remedy, the doctor is always in and ready to take your questions about health care. To subscribe, search for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. You can email a question to remedy at mpbonline.org. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. The effort to unionize a Buffalo Starbucks in late 2021 was not the first campaign of its kind for Jazz Brzezak. The Texas-born, Tennessee-raised activist got her start working part-time with United Auto Workers during its 2016 effort to organize a union at the Nissan plant in Canton. Since that first December vote in upstate New York, baristas at Starbucks stores in Alabama and Louisiana have joined in the unionizing effort. And in Oxford, Mississippi, workers are awaiting their chance to vote. Brzezak, a former University of Mississippi student and Rhodes Scholar, shares her story with producer Rob Lane. I knew about labor from a historical perspective. Um, I learned about, you know, Eugene Debs and Mother Jones when I was 16 um, from reading about them. But Joe Atkins at the University of Mississippi was a labor journalism professor and actually showed me how to, you know, turn what was really a historical obsession on my part in some ways into a way to turn um, that into action and to actually participate in union organizing. To what extent would you say sort of being in the South throughout much of your young life perhaps informed some of your uh, you know, perspectives on labor, perspectives on class? I mean, um, one of the labor figures that I was very um, drawn to, Bill Haywood, who was a founder of the Industrial Workers of the World, um, had a line that was, you know, I've never read Marx of Capital, but I've got the Marx of Capital all over my body. Certainly working at Panera's and, um, you know, seeing people struggling to make ends meet was more of a push toward, you know, seeing why unions and the labor movement were necessary than um, simply reading about it. But I think, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't know a lot of the Southern labor history until much later because it's so um, written out of history or deliberately not discussed. And you mentioned you were involved in an effort to unionize uh, Nissan workers at the plant in Canton. Uh, What more can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, it was the same kinds of corporate threats and intimidation and terror that um, these companies generally try to use against workers trying to organize. In fact, Nissan and Starbucks have the same anti-union law firm, Littler Mendelssohn. Um, 
and you know they threatened workers there with closings with they would lose their jobs with trying to divide uh, workers against each other on racial lines um, and with you know scaring workers um, while simultaneously preventing them from having you know medical care workers died or got sick in that plant and Nissan tried to cover it up and I think you know despite the vote count going the way it did it showed me you know how necessary a union was and also that winning the right to organize is one of the most important things uh, for winning workers rights and human rights because Nissan never paid a consequence for what they did um, to the, their workers in Mississippi. You also mentioned that you worked as a volunteer at the Jackson Women's Health Organization. Do you see uh, the abortion issue as intrinsically connected to broader issues of, as you said, workers' rights, human rights? Absolutely. Um, I think it's very evident that abortion access is very much a class issue and the people who are most affected by attempts to restrict abortion access are people who are, you know, working class. And um, so I think all of these issues are connected, um, especially because, you know, there's, that's an issue of a very fundamental human right. Um, And I think basically all of union busting and trying to deny, you know, people control over their own bodies and everything are really symptoms of, you know, a power structure trying to control people and we're trying to get some of that control back. Mississippi, of course, a right to work state. Over the past year, year and a half, we've struggled tremendously with a teacher shortage, a nursing shortage, shortages in a lot of critical, you know, so-called skilled professions. Do you believe that a stronger union culture in the state would ameliorate some of those issues over the long term? Absolutely. I think Mississippi has a very rich history of organizing that goes back to, you know, the Washer Women's Union in Jackson in 1850 when formerly enslaved black women um, organized a union of the laundry workers and actually, you know, won their strike demands. But we don't talk about that. Um, But I think today, you know, right to work states make it harder to maintain unions, but they don't make it harder to organize them. So I think that organizing within that culture could really set up a transformative culture for the South of, you know, establishing workers' rights and changing what it means to be a Southern worker. A final question. Can you summarize for us what uh, your work um, and the work of your, you know, your colleagues at Starbucks have, you know, what that's accomplished so far and what the future looks like, you hope? Well, we've won the first two unionized Starbucks in the country. Um, We have almost 100 union petitions at stores across the country. Um, And I think we're still very much in a fight for the right to organize, but we're already seeing, you know, we had the ability to take action when 
we weren't safe during the Omicron wave of the pandemic. And actually one changes for all of Starbucks nationally uh, based on our actions. Um, so I think the more of us there are and the more of us are organizing, the more power we're going to keep building within this company and then within this industry. Jazz Brzezak is a union organizer and former University of Mississippi student. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.